Welcome to Seemingly Ordinary. It's a podcast where I interview people who on the surface may appear to be totally ordinary, but underneath the surface, they have amazing things going on. Emily Wapker is a mom of six children, a lifelong recreational athlete who does tons of really creative things on the field. She's also a great swing dancer. She reads a lot of books. And right now, she is homeschooling. Before she decided to be with her kids full-time, Emily was a beloved high school teacher at a very demanding school. And she taught a class that a lot of schools don't even offer, but they should. It's World War II and the Holocaust, and I interviewed her about that in an earlier episode. She also taught many religion classes. And now, for the past year, she has homeschooled her own six children. So we're going to discuss that. Hey, Emily. Well, you've been homeschooling since August of 20, and we're recording this on June the 13th of 21. So I kind of actually want to go back to your own childhood first, because I just want to see if the seeds of homeschooling were present from the beginning, or if this is something that just kind of came later, maybe for its own reasons. Just tell me a little bit about your own family growing up. Okay, my mom worked until I was about five, so... I don't remember her not being at home with us. And she was awesome. I feel like she was just made to do that. Well, she was able to do a lot of things. Um, but we, we had a great childhood. I don't have any complaints. Like, we got to... It was idyllic. Um, I, had two, I have two younger brothers who were all three years apart. So we were spaced out enough that we got to do quite a bit of things because we were in different stages of life, kind of. And... So we went, we moved around a lot because dad was military. We went to Catholic schools almost the entire time, all the way through high school. Um, And I thought about it a lot, about how much they were able to help us do, try different sports, play instruments, you know, just explore lots of different things. So, I mean, I have nothing bad to say about my childhood at all. Well, maybe this explains to me why athletically you just seem very coordinated, very creative, and just a wide variety of things. So as a little girl, you just could pretty much play any sport? Yeah. I mean, my dad was the athlete, so he coached me in soccer and softball early on, and then basketball, and that was his favorite sport. So yeah, he coached me until probably middle school or so, and then in high school. Okay. Other people. Were both of your parents big readers? Mm-hmm. Yep. So that's kind of where you get that from. Probably so. Okay. Was one of them a dancer? I don't think so. That just came about. That was coincidental, I think. Okay. Okay. And yeah. you're very social and outgoing. Is one of them very social and outgoing? My dad, for sure. My okay. mom is very friendly, but she's more introverted. But she she was an excellent host. So, I mean, she loved to throw a good party and... So I think she was a lot like my youngest brother where they were, like if you imagine a spectrum, like my dad and I are off the chart, extroverted, can talk to a brick wall. My mom and my youngest brother are closer to the middle where they're introverted for sure, but they're very friendly and outgoing. They just need their time to like have their own time. And kind of decompress from the rest of the world basically. And mm-hmm. you don't really need too much decompressed time. No. Okay. Okay. <laughs> So as a, as a little girl, and then maybe later as a teen, what were your fun activities? Mostly sports. I was usually busy with sports. Mom and dad didn't let us play more than one sport in a season. Okay. Which is something that I'm hoping we can continue to do with our kids. 
but no more than one sport per season. Mm-hmm. Which with six kids, that's it's a lot. Even if they all do only one, right? So we're, we're still navigating what that looks like, but. I just don't think there's any way we could do more than one with the six that we have. They're so close together. Yeah. When I was growing up, because we were further apart, I think my parents could have let us, and we probably could have gotten away with it, but they didn't. And so I grew up playing a sport all year round, just three different ones. Gotcha. Was there a reason for that in terms of academics or something else? or I mean, just what type of balance in life were they trying to achieve? Um. I don't know if they gave us reasons per se, besides, you know, you're committed to a team, so we don't want to split your time between two teams, so you might let one of them down. Okay. So I think it was just, I think they had an understanding of moderation that I'm still learning. Oh, okay. <laughs> but I do think it was, you know, we want you to be well-rounded, we want you to do what you like to do, but it can't be all-consuming, you know, because grades were important. Um, I took piano for five or six years, um, and then did musicals and things like that. So Oh, you did you did musicals? Mm-hmm. Are you a soprano or are you an alto? I think my voice is lowered. I was a second soprano in, in choir in high school. I generally feel like I'm a soprano, but I think I've I'm more of an alto now, but I also just like to come up with harmonies and I didn't learn that as well being a soprano. Do you spontaneously do that? If you're singing a song, you just spontaneously come up with a harmony? Yes. Okay. Now wow. I do. It's wow. taken years of just like singing terribly in the car to figure out how to do that, but yes. That's fun. That's fun. I bet your kids are imitating you with that. Sometimes. Okay. That's just really cool. Uh, is there anything else about grade school that we should bring out? Not that I can think of. Mm, okay. How about high school? Uh, I know one thing my parents emphasized was... Uh, we were all going to have a job in okay. high school. Okay. And it wasn't even necessarily to make money to pay for things. Like they did have certain things we were expected to pay for. Okay. But it was more so you're going to get this experience in high school. That of of the responsibility that comes with a job. Mm-hmm. Because there's certain things that, well, at least I, I think you still have to do. You have to show up on time. You have to meet and greet the customers in a very, very kind way. You might have to clean up after other people. Uh, if you might have to do some heavy lifting. You might have to uh, get on your hands and knees and scrub things. There's just a lot of good skills, I think, that come with a job that don't necessarily just come with school. Agreed. So, okay, um, let's just shift over into Brett's because the two of you had to decide together that homeschooling would be a good thing. Um, what kind of a family did he come from and what, were his, uh, what was his childhood like? tell you what I know which I don't think is a ton but so his dad is a farmer so he grew up on a farm outside of a small town um his mom works still works at the high school so they it was a decent sized high school so he kind of had this small town but decent sized high school um he had to work at the farm a lot he would go in really early with his mom she worked in the kitchen at the high school so they would go in really really early and so he had to kind of figure out stuff to do in the morning before school. Uh, I don't remember if he had high school jobs or not. I don't know. I'll have to ask him. I don't know. Okay. Okay. Well, if he grew up on a farm, he probably had plenty to do on the farm. Indeed. Okay. And did he play sports? He played some baseball and some football. He was not real active as a child. Um, 
he played some. He in high school he was in choir and band. Okay. And that's what kept him busy. In four H. Oh, okay. Four H. He showed animals. They did a lot of baking. He that's where he learned to dance. So he had way more experience, like actually learning how to dance, than I did. I didn't learn until college. I took one of those like one hour, one yeah. hour. Yeah. Yeah, like a ballroom dancing class. Yeah. 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 That's really good. Okay, so I mean, he had a lot of activities and a diverse uh, set of behaviors, and so did you. And so then that just kind of makes things fun. So did you get married at, was it 25, 24? I was 25. 25. I just turned. Uh-huh. Okay, okay. And then how old was Brett? He was 27, almost 28. Okay, so now it's about a dozen years later. Is that right? That is correct. Okay, so a dozen years later and six children... And they were going to school, and you were a Catholic school teacher yourself. And both of you did very well in school, both you and Brett. So what drove this decision to homeschool? So Brett actually has been a fan of it for years. So we've talked about it for, gosh, I don't know how long we've talked about Maybe early, early in our marriage. Mm. And I was never a fan. Not a fan, I guess. I thought it wasn't for me. It was, I was still teaching for the beginning of that. I loved teaching high school students. And then we started having our own kids. And I still love teaching high school students, but then had these toddlers at home. So it was a very interesting learning curve for me. You were just being tugged very hard in two separate directions. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's very tough. It's, I mean, it's normal too. You know, like women really have an interesting, when interesting journey in motherhood nowadays it's so different than even a generation ago you know because we're we're told to go to college to get a good degree to get a good job to you know to make something of ourselves, and that's all well and good but then if you're not ready for marriage and family it's kind of a shock to the system you know and I mean I watched my mom be the most amazing mom but I felt driven opposite of what she did even though she did it so lovingly and beautifully I just was like, I don't really feel called to that. I'm not really sure. But I felt called to marriage. I figured I'd have a couple kids. But I I really loved my job. So I did not feel prepared to be a mom. I didn't feel, I don't know, I didn't feel called. I felt called to be a mom, but not called to stay home. I just, I felt pulled to to work. I I wanted to work. Um, But... Once we had our third kid, it didn't make sense to work anymore. So, of course, logically and monetarily, you're just like, okay, this is because, what we need to do. Because we're treading water, basically. That my salary is getting canceled out with childcare and related expenses. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, financially, just unless you're going to switch jobs or something and, I don't know, become a chemist. Right. Exactly. You know? Which I was not going to do. So, yeah, I, we were evening out when I had two kids in daycare. Okay. So, then when my third was born... It just made sense to not to not stay. And Brett was very um, encouraging. He knew that I was doing it not for the money, and our family didn't need that money, but it was for my own well-being. And I was part-time, so it was kind of a great balance for a while. But when you have three kids under four... It's just too much. It's too much. Right. Which was really hard for me to, to grapple with. And so it's been this journey of humility and sacrifice, which is what parenting will do to you, which is good. Uh, but it's been just this whole learning curve of doing something different that I didn't feel called to do, but I'm learning mm. how to take care of my family. So Brett brought up homeschooling when we had a few really young kids, and I just was like, I was trained as a high school teacher. I love it. I don't know what the heck I'm doing with little kids. So it did not appeal to me at all. 
fast forward to 2020 and this pandemic, we had, we've discussed it all along, but I think it was, you know, God's timing. And actually I can tell you looking back now that I think God was preparing me the whole time. Okay. Which is not surprising, but then when you look back at, oh, look at all these things. Like I, I'm part of lots of Facebook groups for homeschool parents and families. And I have been for years, even when we weren't even talking about it. Whoa, whoa. But why? Because this was something, yeah, but this was something that you really were not all that interested in. I wasn't, but I was. I mean, Brett was. He planted that seed, you know. It was one of those things that I didn't rule it out. I just knew the timing wasn't good, but I wanted to at least learn more to know what I was saying no to. Oh, so you could maybe argue more logically and persuasively. Maybe, but also at least finding people that I know just to get their experience because I I didn't feel like I knew what it looked like since I wasn't homeschooled. And, you know, there was a stigma when we were growing up, there was a stigma. Oh, for sure. For sure. Yeah. Socially awkward, ankle length skirts, uh, you know, studied the Bible 29 hours a day. Exactly. Well, and the thing is, is from what I can tell, Kansas City has a very vibrant homeschooling community. Now, I have not lived in another city for years, so I can't really speak to other cities, but I've heard from people that ours is pretty strong. And so I do, over the years, I have met lots of these people who do it. So part of being in these certain Facebook groups is just to find resources that work for at-home things or to see who I know that I could at least shadow for a day or talk to them. Because once... I mean, it was once the pandemic hit, that's what shifted everything for us. Yes. And the other part of the timing aspect was we didn't have a baby. And we've always had a baby. And so to me, when the pandemic hit, that was the push I needed to actually try it. Okay. And the fact that we did not have another baby coming. Yeah. Because we never had that for 10 years, 12 years of our marriage. Yeah. Last year, I did research for months and months. I talked to a bunch of friends who I'd known had been doing it. Some had been in schools and homeschooled. Some had only homeschooled. So when it's a really big decision, I pretty much will do research research forever and try to avoid the decision-making because I just want to get all the facts, all the information. Which, which of course, you can't get all of the facts. Right, exactly. But I will try my darndest. So I talked to tons of people over, I mean, hours and hours and tons of Facebook groups. I found a really good one last spring that was so helpful in terms of curriculum and making decisions. And it was Catholic too. So that was great. What, do you remember what it's called? Um, Heart of a Mother. Okay. I think. Okay. And it's this woman who, she was homeschooled for years and she just had the ability and the talent to, I mean, this group grew with the pandemic, as you can imagine. As oh, I tons bet. of people were you know, looking into this. So thousands of women are in this. It's all Catholic. And then veteran moms are sharing their wisdom and and everyone's sharing their input on different curricula. So it was a wealth of knowledge. It was so helpful. And she even does like, I think has a coaching kind of thing on the side to go along with that. Where she will train people to be good homeschool teachers. Well, it's more so like she will do like a call with you to help you figure out what makes sense for your family. Oh, okay. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so kind of tips, but also kind of like she'll ask the questions that she knows will help you decide which curriculum or which way to go with something. And so, but it was just a wealth of knowledge and information. And so that was immensely helpful. And so we, we kind of with what we knew about the pandemic at the time when it first hit, you know, our school did a great job with the at home 
um, schooling to right, finish right. the year. They the did whole a great job. the Zoom thing, yeah. Right, like they did a great job with what they had with no time, you know. So we finished the year, it was fine. But then, and I was researching throughout all of that, and it just made sense, you know. And it was kind of like, I was like, okay, you usually need a really big push to do something this big. I don't know if yeah. without the pandemic I would have made the leap. But we talked about it for years, and it was like, the timing feels good. This mm. makes sense. And we will always choose, like, we will always decide together for a year at a time. So we knew we're like, oh, okay, pandemic year, yes. So you're basically sense. like an employee who has a one-year contract. Yes. Got it, got it. Yeah, because, you know, life changes, things change with the kids, and we can have a long-term plan, but, you know, God has other plans, or things change. Things so change. we're always going to look at it a year at a time which can be daunting when you want to plan further ahead. But for us, for the pandemic year, we were also trying to be extra cautious and isolated for our parents and their health. So it just was like, it makes sense to do it this year, to try it out. And we knew it wouldn't be a normal homeschool year because we weren't going out and doing, you know... Activities. Much at all, right. Right. So we knew, we said, okay, we're going to try it, knowing that this is not what a normal homeschool year would look like, but it'll give us the best idea to try it out and see... Because we just, we knew once my oldest started kindergarten, all of a sudden she was with me a lot, except for a little bit of preschool, and then she just had so little time with mm. us. And, okay. And it was heartbreaking because she loved school, we loved our, the school we were at. It wasn't that, it was just the entire educational system of our country. You know? Right. Like, my problem is just, they don't need to be in school for eight hours, and it's really based on the workforce in the U.S. about how, you know, Americans versus Europeans are so much more workaholic, working so many hours. And so the school systems really are built for working parents so that the kids are in school for most of that day. At least that's the way I see it. Well, I, I think I think that could be true because um, why else are the kids in school from roughly the work hours uh, of the adults? And then the other thing is summer vacations. That originally came about because we were what, 97% agricultural in the United States in the 1840s when, I think that's when public schools came about. So otherwise there really wouldn't be an explanation for summer vacations. So the whole thing has been sort of set up around adult schedules, right. which kind of makes sense, but kind of doesn't. Right. It doesn't make sense for kids necessarily. Right, and the summer break, I mean, whenever we've had it, like of course it's nice to slow down and do fun activities like Bible school, things like that, but it's always too long. You know, like we all love the break. We like the chance to go on vacation, which we haven't really done a whole lot of, but by mid-July, we're, we're done with summer break. So now... You're, you're sick of it as an adult. Well, the kids are too. The kids get sick of it. They do. It's too long. Like They, they like get the bored. Break. They mm -hmm. get bored. Mm -hmm. They want to be with their friends. They do. And even if we do activities with friends, other things, like it's still just a little too long. So I'm not opposed to summer break, but I do think it's too long. I mean, if I had my way, there'd be school almost all year long. Okay. But they'd go less hours. They might even go, I don't know, I kind of like the idea of like three-day weekends all the time. I don't know if that's feasible. Honestly, you sound like the nation of Finland. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I love Finland. <laughs> they only go to school for like, what, four hours or something? Yeah. I mean, okay, I'll tell you what I know, and then you can tell me what you know. I read a book by Amanda Ripley. She's a journalist, and she wanted to find the smartest kids in the world. In fact, that's the title of her book, The Smartest Kids in the World. So she goes to Finland, South Korea, Germany, Poland, the United States, and a few other countries, 
And she basically found out that Finland was number one in the world, tied with South Korea. But the South Koreans don't like their system because they are working literally 16 hours a day in school. I mean, they are just, some of those kids are working more than American kids are awake. Oh my gosh. So, I mean, it's, it's very ridiculous and it's, it's very, very hard. And they're kind of in an arms race with each other to see who can outperform whom on the test and things like that. In Finland, they go to school less than we do. And uh, they have less homework than we do. And for whatever reason, the way their culture is set up, people just do their best. The um, author met one kid who in America would have just kind of been considered for a wide variety of reasons to, you know, lifestyle, behavior, et cetera. He probably would have been about a C minus or a D student. And he was making terrific grades in Finland. Just for whatever reason, the culture has evolved in such a way that people say, well, I've got this work. I think I should get it done. And so then they get it done. And I guess they hire the most brilliant people to be the professors. And then the government imposes basically no control over the professors, lets them do what they want. They basically say, well, you know what you're doing. We did hire the smartest people. We're not sure we're as smart as you. We're just going to let you run the system because... You know, hey, we're number one. If it ain't broke, don't fix it. So that's what I know. That's about what I know, too. Yeah, something similar to that. Yeah, it's just, it's amazing because I do, even just as a mom, you know, I don't want them, my desire for my children is not to be the smartest or to be at the best schools, per se. Like, sure, that's great, but my ultimate goal is to get them to heaven, right? So one of the ways I do that is, their job as a child is to be a student right now, to be a daughter, to be a sister, to be a friend. So I want them to be able to not have so much pressure with school and for it to dominate their life, even though that's part of it, yes, is school, but they can learn in so many other ways. And if there is no time left for our family to spend time together, if there's no time left for them to do anything, that's really hard for us to, A, have an influence on them, and B, get to spend time with them and all of those things. Well, it sounds like they would be miserable if their life was just work, 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 and school, 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 and they did not have loving relationships and did not feel a strong family bond. So maybe when the strong family bond gets taken care of and then that's established and people feel good, maybe they just naturally get curious about math, science, English, history, things like that. I don't know. How, in your experience, how does that work? Hard to say. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. I do feel like, yeah, even at very young ages, I mean, that's just how they're wired. You know, they just want to know about the world around them. Okay. And so it's, that's been unique for me because, you know, they've obviously all been home with me as young ones. And then some of them have gone to school once they got old enough, but it is just trying to provide them with time outside to explore time to read books, you know, and at the youngest of ages to me, I'm like, go outside, read some books. Like, there's not much else that you need to be doing Okay. with them, in my in personal opinion. Yeah. You know? But at the same time, like, they're learning at that young age, like, say, two or three, like, their brain's just taking in so much mm. from everyone around them. And as long as they're exposed to other people, too, and not just isolated, you know, they're learning all the time, all day long. And so it's my job to then provide things in their environment. I mean, Catechesis of the Good Shepherd is a great example okay. of it's a Montessori method for religion that 
provides them with a very specific environment, very specific works, and a trained catechist to then walk with them. So I feel, so I've been trained in that now, but it's been so helpful to say, okay, it is child-led, and there's a lot we can learn from that in terms of how they learn, especially at a young age, because they just want to go, like, walk around in a forest and learn what's around them. Okay. You know, you said so many things there that I, I feel like we should unpack for people because they may not know, well, just, for example, what is Montessori? Some people don't know. Sure. I'll do my best. I'm not, I'm not Montessori trained, but Maria Montessori was an Italian woman, and she lived first half of the 1900s, um, and she was an educator. She was Catholic. Most people do not know that. Because okay. Nowadays, there's a lot of Montessori schools that are completely secular now. Oh. But she was, she developed a way of um, a way of teaching. Okay. Sometimes that's not the right word to use, but it's basically if you know of a Montessori classroom, they they have it by levels of how children develop. A lot of times, it's ages three to six, six to nine, nine to twelve. Okay. Started. And you have furniture and works and shelving that's all to the size of that age child. So the entire environment is fostering learning for that particular age group. And you're, she tested, I mean, so beautiful learning about how she learned what worked for these kids. Is she would just try it out with kids and she removed stuff that kids weren't interested in. But she had very purposeful um, ways and works that she would put in front of the child. Mm. And so the idea is that the children can be shown something and once they've been shown what it is in the classroom they can work with that material oh interesting and so you have trained catechists that know well catechists would be more for um the religion part of that because that's what i've been trained in is in montessori religious okay setting versus i don't know how math and language and all of those work i have an idea but the idea is it's child-led so that they can then go and pull down what they're interested in that day and those early years, they do a lot of repetition because they want to perfect what they learn. And there's practical life things too. So they learn to pour beans and it's all about gross motor and fine motor skills and how they can work on those things. So it's been just fascinating because she developed these methods that are just, they look quite a bit different than your traditional classroom. And so then she developed with Gianna Gobi and Sofia Cavaletti this program called Catechesis of the Good Shepherd which originated in Italy, and it's been tweaked for 50, 60, 70 years now. Oh, my gosh. Um, and they, it's beautiful. I've learned so much myself going through the training for this. Um, so what does the classroom actually look like then? It depends on your setting. Okay. For instance, so I'm at Holy Trinity. We have kind of the Cadillac of Atria, which is what the room is called for Catechesis of the Good Shepherd. And so they're just classrooms, but you have open shelves, you have trays, most things are on trays, so that a kid could take that specific work down and put it on a mat. They take one thing at a time, they put it back. Um, the shelves just have just enough area to put you know, a normal amount of trays on there, so you're not cramming in a ton of stuff. It's not like you're trying to store things. Okay. You don't want to overwhelm them with too many choices, but you want everything to be inviting so they can see everything. Nothing is put, like, behind a cupboard or anything. Um, so they have 
lots of different things. There's like a raised surface map. There's a liturgical calendar. Like everything is hands-on. Uh, there's a lot of figurines to tell, for, you know, for instance, the gospel stories, things like that, that they can reenact the story. Oh, okay. So lots of hands-on. Okay, so it's, it's hands-on, and we've got materials where basically they could almost put on like a little play. Sometimes. And then that teaches them the story of things. Does somebody have to show them the story first, or do they kind of make up their own story, or what do they do? So for Catechism of the Good Shepherd, they don't work with anything they haven't been already shown. Okay. So the catechist is trained in everything that's in that room, and they take their time throughout the year. It's all liturgical, so in Advent they'll look at the prophecies of Isaiah. Okay. So there's a prayer table. That's where you do some of that work, too. Liturgical, for people who don't know, just means the church calendar, right? Mm-hmm, for like the Catholic we, Church. Okay. So we start our year, usually in November, December, with Advent, going to ordinary time. Which leads, leads to Christmas, which, right. yeah, et cetera. Yeah. Right. So it's, it's the way we go through each year that walks us through the life of Jesus in a very specific way. So we do that with the children, too. So whatever the church is going through liturgically, that season, that's what we're doing with the kids, something okay. appropriate to that season. So, so, yeah. So it's really a learning-by-doing situation. Yes. Kids are up, they're active, they're sitting, they're crawling around the floor, they're playing, they're manipulating objects, they're talking to each other. It's definitely not just a, hey, sit at your desk and open up your workbook to page five or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So like our sessions, when we do them, a lot of times it'll look like they gather together to pray at the beginning or at the prayer table. And then a lot of times the catechist will show them a new work most days, depending on how old they are. Okay. Their kids will do more scripture study, but the younger ones, it's much more hands-on because that's where they are developmentally. So they might show them a new work that day show it to them and say, if you'd like to work with this today, you can, once they wrap up. And it'd be five to ten minutes okay. know, for that presentation. And then they take the rest of the time and say, you can choose work now. And they could work with that, or they could work with anything they've already seen before. And Marie Montessori developed most of her ideas essentially through trial and error. Like, try it with this group of students, and then whatever works, we're going to keep for the next group of students, and then we're just going to keep tweaking it, basically? I believe so. Okay. Yes. Okay. All right. What does a typical day look like for you as a homeschooling mom, if there is such a thing? That's what I wanted when we started. A typical day. It, mm-hmm, was to have it a very specific way, very routine and, and regimented. We've learned to be more flexible as the years gone on. So it's changing as the kids age, because when we started in August, my youngest was about a year and a half. Okay. And that was probably the most difficult part of our journey was figuring out how to do it with a toddler. Mm. And I talked to lots of friends about that and they were like, give yourself grace, understand that that might be difficult at times. But my goal was always to be done with school before lunchtime. And we can do that for the most part. But we had to figure out... All six kids can finish school by by lunchtime? Mm Mm-hmm. I mean, they're not really all six in school. So our first year, my oldest was in fifth grade, having been at a normal school for several years. Next one was third grade. Next one was first grade. Next one was, she would have gone to four-year-old preschool at our parish. And then the 
fifth would have been in three-year-old preschool, which again, preschool is not really a required thing, you know. It's optional. Definitely optional. Something we've always done with ours because they, they really liked it. We love, you know, something different. So he would have been in three-year-old preschool and then the youngest was 18 months. Okay. So one of the hardest things for me was just managing all of them. Mm. It wasn't the actual school part, I guess. What we had to figure out was the older ones were so used to what a normal school classroom looked like. And so we had to learn together what it could look like at home. Hmm. And they very quickly learned that they didn't have that much work to do. Like, okay. It wasn't that I didn't give them enough, but when you're not walking from classroom to classroom, doing all these right. other things with 30 kids in your classroom, you can get it done so much faster. See, see I, I want to pause and just mention that all my life, ever since I started teaching college anyway, I have developed a really positive impression of homeschooled kids and the reason is I, I could mention three people one of whom I just interviewed yesterday her name is Erin Forbes she is 21 years old she was homeschooled she started writing her first novel when she was 12 she published it when she was 16 it's part of a fantasy trilogy so she's got three of these books out there she's got this gorgeous Instagram that's not like any other Instagram because she interviews other authors and gets advice and suggestions and tips and just they just have an author conversation. She dances extremely well. She rides horses. She has spent so much time exploring the woods of upstate New York, which is where she lives. Uh, and just and when you speak with her, there's never an and uh in the conversation. And in my conversation, there's a bunch of and uh's. She is so sharp and so articulate. And at the age of 21, she is so far ahead of any place I was at 21. That's just one example. Um, the other two examples, there was a girl I had named Amber at UMKC when I was teaching there. And she had this very quiet voice. But whenever she spoke, the whole class was quiet because they wanted to hear what Amber had to say because it was always brilliant. She became a professional dancer, and she gave me free tickets to go see The Nutcracker, and she just really, really knew what she was doing in terms of ballet, and she had read everything. She had just already read everything by the time I met her. The uh, third and last example I'll mention is a friend of mine named David, who is now married and has six kids, and he was homeschooled, and I think eventually wound up taking calculus and physics and became, I think it's a mechanical engineer, makes a very, very good living, knows all kinds of advanced math and science, did extremely well. And every single one of these people is polite, they are generous, they are thinking about the other person. Um, the ones that are more on the shy side, they are certainly not antisocial. Any sort of a stereotype of homeschoolers as being antisocial, they just blow it to shreds. Just absolutely blow it to shreds. So that's why I've developed a very positive view of homeschooling. And I, I just wanted to toss that out. And just from what I've read, too, you know, you really can get all of your work done fairly quickly if you don't have, I don't know, like you said, moving between classes, maybe the distraction of what the kid next to you is doing, the teacher's not quite organized just yet, etc. So, I mean, the school system is wonderful, but I think for a lot of people, homeschooling is equally wonderful and maybe better. Yeah, I mean, that uh, stereotype that you mentioned, you know, when we were younger, it, it just wasn't as common. And I think, I, I couldn't tell you the reason why I think it's changed, but more people trying it is it 
part of it. And then technology is some of it, but I'm not noticing necessarily. My kids aren't using more technology. Like they're not doing all their classes and all their work online at all. They're using it less, in fact. But I think for me, I was using it a ton to research and connect and network with so many more people than I could have a generation ago that I think that made it easier for me to connect with all these other moms, to see what they're doing and to have a support system. So that made a huge difference for me. And then looking forward to this upcoming year where we hope to be able to be part of other groups and you know, not necessarily a co-op, but different groups and get togethers that we can be more social than we were this past year. With the well, pandemic. and I think that's a good thing because my understanding is, is the, uh, the co-ops that homeschooling families join it allows the kids to do some sports and some plays and some concerts and just other activities that people might want to do maybe people want to start some sort of a lawn mowing or babysitting enterprise and oh hey now we have business partners there's just all kinds of good things that can happen i think in the co-ops and yes. and they do happen i think the co-ops might have come about but i could be very wrong about this possibly due to some of the stigma that was uh hit upon the homeschoolers as being antisocial. So I think they decided, hey, let's form groups. That might have been it, or it just might be just the natural human desire to have community with like-minded people. I don't really know. I don't know either. <laughs> okay, well, let's get back to what an ordinary, you don't have ordinary days. Um, just, I don't know, tell me about two or three interesting days. So we, like I said, first time doing this, no expert on anything, we learned as the year progressed, my older two and I were getting very frustrated. So we had to figure out a way to make our day run smoothly. Okay. So that they didn't have to do work. So our family's always guarded a quiet time, basically from one to three. Oh. So it's usually when a baby's napping, but I will we will always have alone time, quiet time, always, no matter how old they are. And so we've always had that. I didn't want my older ones to have to do work on a regular basis during that time. I wanted them to be able to pick up their books and read, go outside, things like that. We were really struggling and we realized we had to do a rotation where one of the three of us watched the younger two. Okay. Because there was just no way, like we designed our, we redid our front rooms in our house to be accommodating to our homeschool. We- You remodeled. More or less. Oh, wow. Trial carpet, yeah, I mean, the big difference was we changed the flooring. Other okay. than that, we tweaked some of the furniture, but it wasn't drastically different, but it allowed for us to have a space that worked well for us to work. So the older ones could work at the big dining room table. We put toys like magnetile blocks, stuff like that, other Montessori type things in the other room next to it. They're connected. So we, I figured you know, the boys would be able to kind of play quietly there. I don't know what I was thinking. Uh, because the new flooring makes it louder too. So I was hoping they could all kind of work together in the same room. That was not working so much, but we figured out we needed to rotate watching the boys. So my second oldest really loves to start her day that way. So we said, okay, you can start with the boys and then we can rotate and then you can get started on schoolwork. And we Because she, she is nine, right? Mm -hmm. And then how old are they? The boys? Yeah. Well, now they're almost four and almost two and a half. Oh, okay. Okay, so she must be very responsible. She loves little ones. Oh, okay. Love, she even said one time, a couple years ago, she goes, I only like them when they're two and under. And I said, well, you have siblings <laughs> in all those age groups. You just don't like them once they turn two? She was like, no, no. 
but she's a little mom. She loves taking care of him. And so when we had that conversation, I said, okay, we pretty much start our day at like nine. Okay. We take our time in the morning. It's not rushed. And we pray at nine and then we get started. And when I sat down with my older two, I said, okay, how do we want to do this? She was all for having her rotation with the boys be first. So I sat down with the first grader to help her get work done. The oldest could work independently, easily. And then we set a timer, more or less, or looked at the clock. And then we said, okay, after like 30-ish minutes, 45 minutes, then we rotate. And the oldest would take her turn, and the second oldest would come and get started. Okay. So that became a necessity for us, to have the boys have somebody take them outside when it was nice out and run around, because it just was not working for me to like... I couldn't give everyone attention all at the same time. And we just had to figure out a better way to kind of rotate and figure out how to get everyone what they needed at that time of day without having to sacrifice the things we wanted to guard the most. See, I think that's so good, though. I just feel like you've established, hey, we're a community. We love each other. We're responsible to each other. Uh, the older ones can take some responsibility. And uh, everybody's having a good time. That's putting it nicely. I mean, yes, we, <laughs> we did find most of the time, but you know, it's interesting because they just act so differently when they're in their comfort zone versus if they were at school. Mm. So I think it was harder for some versus others to keep their feelings in check. Not that I wanted them to like hide everything, but my first grader just really is very emotional anyway. And so because she was at home, she just wanted to go play and she did not want to work or put the effort in so it was a struggle most days to get her to sit down and do it and she didn't even have that much work to do so how long did it take her to adjust i don't feel like she did adjust (laughs) maybe next year she will i don't know she had really good days they were just very sporadic it never became like a regular thing um so there was just it's been interesting trying to navigate all of us in one situation I, we all of us still feel like it was a good fit for our family to do because we weren't rushing around in the morning to get everyone out the door. Mm. We weren't rushing around after school to get a snack, do some homework, play for two seconds, eat dinner, and go to bed. So it was a much slower-paced year, which we appreciated. They all seemed to understand that we could take our time and watch a movie sometimes and, and just be able to have a much slower pace. I think it was just overall much better. Well, and you know, I, I bet they really enjoyed that because just as a teacher, sometimes I, I felt in a rush that, oh, we're supposed to cover X, Y, and Z by the 1st of October. And so you're just kind of rush, 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 you know, to get things done. And maybe the kids feel rushed or the kids feel hassled. And maybe that's not good. It also just sort of struck me that the parts people remember the most, maybe that's the real curriculum. So if people remember rushing in the morning and people yelling at each other to get into the car and uh, having to like wolf down your breakfast in two minutes, maybe that's the real curriculum. And if so, I don't know if I want that curriculum. Well, you never know because, you know, some kids are morning people, some aren't. And so it just depends. But I'm pretty sure I have all of the categories between the six of them. I bet you do. You know, so, yeah, it's hard to say, but I'm not a morning person. So that's, you know, one thing is just the fact that we can have slower mornings so that I can try to be a better mom too and be in a better mood. But, yeah, I don't know. It's hard to say what it'll look like this coming year when we can get out more and do things Mm. and really see what homeschooling could be because 
I'm just thinking of field trips we could take, places oh, yeah. we could go, and that's just nothing we did last year because of the pandemic. So we just stayed home most of the time, and that got difficult. Well, I, I want to ask what type of things you want to do in the future, but before we do, could you uh, maybe just briefly outline what subjects were your kids studying? I'm just assuming like a little bit of math, a little bit of reading, a little bit of science. Yes. So the curriculum that I ended up choosing, so I mean, we didn't get into this yet, but there's lots of different styles and techniques of homeschooling. Yeah. And this is not surprising knowing my personality, but being a former teacher and also just being somewhat perfectionist, like I ended up kind of wanting a little bit of everything. Okay. So I... I like classical, but I didn't want to do full classical. I okay. like Charlotte Mason, but I didn't want to do full Charlotte Mason. I like Waldorf a little bit. but So the one that I found was this Catholic homeschooling curriculum writer. It was a brand new curriculum about six months before we chose it. Okay. And she she basically called it a Catholic minimalist kind of eclectic curriculum. So I liked that because I okay. know I can overdo it. So minimalist sounded good. Minimalist sounded healthy. It did. And so, and you can... And eclectic sounds like, hey, let's do a little bit of everything. Correct. Which yeah. that's kind of what the liberal arts is supposed to be in the first place. Yes. And so it seemed like a good fit. And so she had, I mean, we had to add math in, but she had history. She had faith, um, science. I'm like picturing my planner now. Faith, math, reading, science and history, English, miscellaneous. I mean, a little bit of everything. She, What I liked about hers is the way she did English was she took scripture, and I think it's a Charlotte Mason method. I just don't know Charlotte Mason as well. But it's part of its dictations, and that's how she incorporated English. Okay. That you would dictate the scripture to the child. They would write it down. You'd mm. show them the mistakes. They would look at it throughout the week. They'd um, write the words. Those were their spelling words that they missed. So they'd copy it multiple times. They'd copy the sentence and then you'd test them on it at the end of the week. Okay. So for me, that was nice because it was a little bit of faith, but it was a simple version of English yeah. Yeah. that we didn't have to spend too much time on. So she was kind of like hitting a couple different birds with one stone. Well, that sounds very 19th and 20th century of you to get your kids to be extremely well-versed in the Bible. Um, I was an English major in college, and I'm just absolutely convinced that the two books that really define Western culture to a gigantic degree are the Bible and the complete works of Shakespeare. And if you just read those two things, then you'd probably just be a brilliant person. You'd be extremely well-read. You would really understand human nature. You would have a deep background in literature, um, you know, for decades, so many American novels, great American novels, simply cribbed off of or referenced the Bible and Shakespeare. So what a good plan. What a good plan. Very classical, but also kind of hitting, I guess, the kids' needs with where they were at. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it, it was a new method for me. And it wasn't, you know, like an English workbook and showing different rules of the English language. So it was new for me too, but it was simple. Yeah, so we simple but effective. Mm -hmm. Especially because it was the first time we were homeschooling. So, you know, it was such a drastic change, especially for the older ones who were used to school. Oh, for sure. To kind of combat what they were used to. So it was nice to have just a more simpler setup. Okay, okay. How do you make sure or know that your kids are kind of on track with other people's benchmarks? Assuming other people's benchmarks are all that important. 
True. Well, so part of my reasoning, because my dad has asked me this question too. So I told you before that, you know, we're taking it year by year. Yes. And I got this wisdom from a friend of mine who has only homeschooled. She has always said that in case something happens that we need to send them to school, I want to make sure that they are on par with their peers. Right. You know, and obviously they can go above and beyond their peers, and that's the beauty of homeschool because you it have is. so much more flexibility and time. Well, the three examples that I mentioned earlier were just all so far ahead of me. By the time I was 18, I, I can't even tell you how far ahead they were. <laughs> I doubt that, but I see where you're going with that. But yes, yeah, so I I want them, in case we change our mind or something happens that we need to send them to school, I want them to be able to keep up. So the hard part is... You know, no school system, no homeschool is perfect. Everyone's going to have gaps. So it just kind of depends. And that's the what I've learned from veterans is like you get to choose what's important to you hmm. and what you think is important for your children. And that is awesome. But at the same time, if it doesn't mesh well with what the schools are doing, then they could be off. They might be way high in a couple things and way low in other That's things. right. They could be five years ahead in social studies. Right. But they could be maybe one year behind in math. So it's difficult. But how much of that is just the natural interest of the child in the first place? I taught math for about 13 years or so. And I don't know if people really truly use Algebra 2 in their life. You could speak to that better than I can. I'm sure I have a friend who's a math teacher at high school too. And she... She likes to make it real for the students and how it applies too. So I don't know what she would say to that. Well, I think for the people who are going to use it in various careers, I, I think that it's just a wonderful thing. Mm -hmm. I really do. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, so I, I don't, my thoughts are not all completely formed on this subject either. I guess I'm posing questions more than anything. Sure. Sure. It's good thoughts. Yeah. I think what's helped me with that, because I struggled with that too, of how, how do I, how am I capable of, of teaching them enough? But it's also, I'm not teaching them. Like, this year especially taught me that I was more managing oh, than I was teaching. Because but, that's the philosophy of how it's done, right? Oh, I don't know if that's true either. I just am observing my year. Oh, okay. Of, okay. Of what, in our particular house, because of the six kids and what age they were, a lot of times I got frustrated because I felt like I was just managing them instead of actually teaching. But then when I... I'm not frustrated and I think back. I think about all the conversations that we had that we never would have had because we had time. So that's not completely true. I did get to teach them and the conversations were all about the stuff I wanted to talk to them about. Oh. You know, or it was stuff that they just asked randomly and we looked it up. So it was awesome. But when it was actually like looking at the curriculum and what we need to get done, it, it did feel more like managing. But again, that was because of having toddlers. <laughs> okay. It, that just held me back from wanting to do what I wanted with the older ones. I see. Um, but I think there's so much more out there in terms of curricula to choose from. And that helps me feel better because I can, I mean, if I wanted to, I could get one specific curriculum I'm thinking of. And I could say, I want the sixth grade box. And they would send me everything I need for sixth grade. It's all in the box. Pull it out. I don't have to like do anything for the most part. you know. And they give you every subject area. And you can just hand it to the kid. Here's your checklist. That Parts of that helps because it's giving you at least something grade specific. Right. It should be aligned with something around the country. Right. You know? Right. Um, each state has their own state standards, which I looked at for some of my older kids just to see topics, things like that. So that's part of how I'm trying to keep them kind of on par 
with what we're doing. So I added in geography this year because I love geography and I think it's really important to mm. have some, some understanding of it. You know, it's built into the history we were doing, but I wanted more. You know, I want them to be able to read a map, not just use their GPS. I want them to know generally where countries are in the world. So we spent this year on U.S. history because I based it on our oldest. Okay. And I had my second just do it right along with her. And that was the beauty of just being at home and they could do that stuff together. So I based it on the older one, but that was something that I added in that gave them a little bit extra work and that wasn't grade specific. I mean, it was in terms of the state standards for a fifth grader, but the third grader was doing more than third graders would have done. See, this school. is the beauty, I think, of what you're doing. And, and a lot of educators would very much agree that if you can figure out what are the natural interests of the child at a given point, and then just feed and water, but they're naturally interested in the first place, they can just really take off like a rocket. Uh, hence my friend David, who became a mechanical engineer and kind of topped out on the math and science somewhere around 16 and had to start taking college level things at that age. And then my friend Erin, that I just interviewed, who started writing her novel when she was 12 and finished it by the time she was 16, just because, well, I mean, she loves reading, she loves writing, she loves imagining things, and it just all came together beautifully for her. And she had all the time in the world to get it done. Mm -hmm. So that's what I'm hoping that I can get into more as we go forward. Because this year, to me, felt like survival mode for all of us, trying to adjust to being home, adjust to being home all the time. Right. You know, learning, I feel like it gave me so much more insight to each child because oh, they're so different at home than they're at school. So I only saw what I saw at home when they would do some homework and they didn't have a ton of homework at the ages they were. So to me, it's been fascinating to get to know them on a much deeper level hmm. to learn. You know, I knew a lot of their interests, but now I know them much more and much more detail and how they learn. So I'm hoping that as I mean, I'm in the planning mode now. I'm hoping to actually start after 4th of July because wow. we want, well, I want to go, like I was saying before, I want to go almost all year so that we have way more flexibility to take time off when it's really nice out. Yeah. So, and I talked to the kids about it too. I said, here's why I want to do this. What do you think? I said, you know, I would love, I told them, I said, every July, it gets so hot here that you guys don't want to go outside. And I said, what if we're doing school? And then when it's nice out in the fall, we go outside more. And they're like, okay. Oh, wow. So they were on board. And I said, you guys are always bored at the end of like second half of July anyway. I said, let's try it. And if we could do, I don't think we'll do four day weeks, although we could, but it's so flexible. I'm like, we might as well do five and just take it easy and throw in all our other activities and, you know, because my older two are going to take a writing class from this woman in town who is, like, kind of famous in our homeschool land. And so they're going to take a writing class from her. And then we're hoping to do this other enrichment program where I can drop them off every week, once a week. And so there's just so much we can do. But in the planning stages, I'm, I'm hoping I can tailor it more because it is so easy to be like, okay, we all do the same thing. We all just check, 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 you know, and make sure we cover all the bases. But I want them to be able to, you know, go toward their interests. My oldest one wants to take an art class this year. And so I'm hoping I can find an online one that she can do at home, but she can do it throughout the school year. My right. second one loves human anatomy right now. So I'm hoping, I think it aligns with what I've seen, but for a fourth grade science curriculum, I saw okay. one that's specifically anatomy. So I'm hoping to do that for her. You know, so I'm hoping that I can allow them to love learning and, and work on something they want to work on. Well, see, I, I think that's what will happen because 
I don't know. That's just my gut feeling. So my mom was a librarian, and she read a lot to us when we were kids. And then you just start reading on your own. And then, of course, when you read a lot, then physically in the world, there are certain things you also want to do. And you just sort of pursue your own interests, and then you find something where, gosh, okay, I read one book on this. Why not 10? Because you just really want to get into it. Or maybe you start playing a sport and you just want to do that all the time or you start learning to dance and then you say, how can I augment these skills? And it just becomes so natural to be passionate about things. I think just contrast that with a set curriculum where if you just follow the set curriculum, hey, maybe that works just fine. But on the other hand, people might really kind of view that as a drudgery, like I got to complete these worksheets And uh, if I do all that, then good. Now I'm done for the day. And then they're kind of tired from doing the worksheets. So then maybe they just want to watch Netflix or something like that. I I just, I think this is what you're doing just works so well with their natural interests. I hope so. (laughs) And it sounds kind of like that's what you want to do. Mm -hmm. Okay. Okay. So do you want to say any more about your future goals with with, uh, what you're planning to do next year? Or do you feel like you've kind of covered that? I think I've touched on quite a few things. Like I said, we're taking it year by year, but at the same time, since I'll have a sixth grader, I'm thinking ahead too of, you know, maybe we do homeschool and then until high school. Okay. I don't know. Brett has talked about he has no problem if we wanted to homeschool through high school. I'm not sure about that yet, mainly because I do want to send them, at this point, I think I want to send them to St. James um, for many reasons, but... Like I said, one year at a time, but she's in sixth grade, which is a very interesting time. So we'll see how that goes. I think this one year at a time plan just seems brilliant. It really does. It stresses me out a little bit because I I would like to plan further ahead. Make it be set for the next 10 years or so. Maybe. (laughs) I know, but, but I'm just thinking, gosh, six kids, that's six different personalities with six different sets of needs. And who knows what each person is going to develop into. And so... It, it just starts to get super complicated. Exactly. Yeah. It'll be interesting because, yeah, the younger ones, it just makes me wonder what their path will be because, you know, I have a hard time imagining us homeschooling a few, but then sending a few to school. Not mm. that, that would be impossible, but I, I don't see that as likely. I mean, maybe that's some other people's path, depending on, like you said, the needs of the child. But that would be very hard as a family, you know, because like I said, getting around in the morning, if we're getting everybody around just to take two of them to school, I, you know, I don't know how that would look. But yeah, if there were needs there, maybe. Yeah. Yeah. But so far, does it seem like everybody's happy? Yeah, I think so. Okay. Um, you've already kind of hinted at some of this, but could you tease out a little bit more? What is the day like for your oldest child? So she usually wakes up and reads in her bed for an hour. And by the time she comes down and grabs food, we pray and then she gets to work. So I make a list the night before of their assignments and she just has to get that list done. So she gets her books out. She's very self-sufficient, so she's more than capable. And she wants to get it done because then she just wants to read the rest of the day. Oh my gosh. She's going to be a human encyclopedia. Yes, she reads. So She's much. going to be like Wikipedia, only accurate. <laughs> that could be. It's gotten a little better. A little. A little. A little better in a few cases. Yeah. I'm just joking around. Oh, that's fine. Yeah, she she very much enjoys the fact that she can get it done quickly, and once she's done, she has the rest of the day to do whatever. 
So she can more or less get done. She probably gets done more than half of her work and then she has to rotate it and watch her brothers or do something with them. Sometimes we'll let them watch a kid show like Daniel Tiger or something and then she can definitely get her stuff done if she doesn't have playtime with them. And so, yeah, she's usually done by lunch. We have a rotation of one of the kids makes lunch every day. So if it's not her day to make lunch, she will get done by the time she sits down for lunch and then we have some time before our quiet rest time. And then she usually will just read or do a craft project that she wants to do. And then after rest time, we have a snack and then they go outside. She gets to play with her neighbor friends. And then she might have practice or something that night, depending on what season we're in. She sounds to me like she has a pretty good life. I mean, I think so. Ask her, it depends on the day. <laughs> okay, okay. Yeah, from her point of view, what's the biggest blessing and what's the biggest challenge? She misses some of her friends. She's very introverted, so I don't think she misses school as much as the second one. Like, she loves school. She didn't have any complaints. But as an introvert, it was a lot for her to keep it together until she got home. And like I said, she loved her teachers. She loved her classmates. Okay. All of that. But she's fine with just a couple friends. Okay. And she's a homebody, too. So she just, she loves to be at home. So it's kind of, it's hard for me because I'm like, we need to figure out ways for her to get around other people. Mm. So, I mean, what does she not like about it? Um... If you can't think of anything, maybe that's good. Well, she complains. About, I mean, they all complain about something, right? So I'm trying to think about what her complaints are. She complains about having to watch her brothers. Okay. Because but, she... But they're four and two? Mm-hmm. Okay. I mean, they're a handful. They are a handful. And she loves them so much, but she wants it on her own terms. So, like, when she wants to play with them, she is great with them. Oh, she's like a house cat. When they want to play, you had better want to play. When they don't want to play, you are not going to get a play. That's such a good example because that's the animal I always match with a melancholic and that's what she is. Uh... So that's funny. Yeah, she she's so good with her brothers, but it's when she wants to. So when it's when our schedule includes her having to rotate, she always complained about that because she wanted to get all her work done and that interrupted it. And so she was never a fan of it as it still made our day work better. Okay. But she didn't want to have to do her rotation. She would rather get everything done and then move on. And then she would be okay with playing with the boys. So that, it was hard for her to have to do that when she wanted to finish school. And she always said, you know, if I was in school, I wouldn't have to watch the boys. I'm like, right, but you would never see them either. Right. I know you like seeing them. But if you were in school, you'd have to do 25 things that you really don't want to do. Yeah. yeah. So therefore... So overall, she seems to enjoy it. She, I do think she misses some of the social, which is what we're hoping gets better this year. Okay, okay. Well, you know, I'll tell you what. It's not exactly like she's on a desert island with just a volleyball to talk to. Right. She's got plenty of people around. And like you said, she plays the sports, and then she's playing with the neighbor kids as well. So she does see people outside of the family as well. Yeah, and we did um, Catechesis the Good Shepherd after school hours. So they were going to that once a week anyway. So they did have a few opportunities per week to see other people, which was important to us as well. How many books do you think she reads a week? A lot. Okay. So I couldn't even put a number, especially because she reads like all levels too. So she'll just flip through whatever's near her, but then we'll go to the library. And for instance, yesterday she checked out 28 books on World War II. Holy cow. And I'm like, I hope that lasts you the week. I mean, <laughs> I think it'll last her two weeks, maybe. 
she reads all the time and she reads very quickly because my second reads a lot now too, but she just doesn't read as fast. Okay. But I do worry about her comprehension because she does read really fast, which is like me. But then it's like, okay, can you retain a whole lot as you're reading that fast? Like you can get through it and if it's exciting, great. But then do you actually remember it very well? You know, I, I find when I read books very, very quickly that sometimes a month later I go back and I reread the exact same book. She does that all the time. And, and I read every word. Mm-hmm. I read every word of the book. I don't know if that's the right way to do it, but that's how I do it, I guess. But then a month later, I, I feel the need sometimes to go back and, and just rediscover because I think, huh, did I just read four, five, six, seven books between those two books? Not quite sure I remember every last little thing, you know. She does the same thing. And I always ask her, I'm like, why are you wasting time reading a book again when there's so many other books to be read? But I mean, I do the same thing, but I'm pretty picky about what I reread because there's so many other things I'm wanting to read. Yes, absolutely. No, I I totally get it. Okay, what does the day look like for your second oldest? She wakes up and reads in her bed too. And she likes to then, after we pray, play with, with our two boys. And if she had her way, she'd just play outside with the boys all day long. And she loves to learn and she loves to read, but she's my like, hands on Mm. only once like she won't put the effort in or just really complain on the subjects she doesn't prefer and the older two kind of they keep trying to put themselves in a box okay because the the second oldest loves math and science okay loves it so much she will fight on she loves to read too but she likes to be able to choose what she reads and then the reading comprehension is where she would used to struggle quite a bit with whereas the oldest reading was her thing and so when they were they were both putting themselves, they wanted to be the opposite of the other. Oh, yeah. So the oldest was like, well, I love reading. And the youngest was, I love math and science. And so they thought they had to hate the other subject, even though the oldest, is she does just fine in math. She's very smart. She doesn't love it, but that's fine. You don't have to love it. But they just kind of wanted to be the opposite of each other. So that's been interesting. No, no, you don't have to love everything, but you don't have to hate it either. You can be indifferent. And just do it because you need to do it. Right. You could have your own personality and not just react to your sister. Yeah, exactly. Okay. So that's been interesting. But yeah, she would love to just be outside all day. That's just not feasible. So getting her to sit down is somewhat difficult because she plays with the boys and then she doesn't want to sit down and do her work. And then she gets mad at me for things like she thinks she doesn't like geography. And she's like, why are you making me do geography? But she'll get into it. She's like, oh, this is so cool. Look at this map. And I'm like, all right, well, okay. But she's so much. Five minutes ago, you were ready to. This is so great. I just, I love it how they change their minds so quickly. Well, and she just likes to argue too. So it doesn't even matter what it's about. She just wants to be defiant and argue. And I'm not saying that she's a bad kid or anything. Like part of her personality is... She loves knowing how things work. She's very logical and she likes things a certain way, but she has this defiant streak in her where she does just kind of want to rebel. Yeah. And so she says stuff doesn't even make sense, but she just wants to argue about it. So we have to do that every day, do that dance. But overall, she's very, very smart. But for her, she only gets passionate about what she really loves. So the other stuff, fine, I'll get through it. I'll get it done. But I mean, she... It's funny because with grades, you know, if you're out of school, you're looking at, could she have been gifted, you know, and how do you, how do you notice that, right? And I'm just like, you know, if she had buckled down and didn't get distracted, she could have probably been gifted in math, I think, but she was too distracted and wanted to do so many oh. other things. Okay. But her grades didn't reflect how well she knew math. Okay. Yeah, it sure does. She didn't want to do the work. I'm, I'm a big believer in the whole Myers-Briggs personality test, and there's just... 
a certain category of people, roughly about 40% of the population that kind of underperforms in school compared to how much they know. Mm -hmm. And it often it's because they are hands-on, they live in the here and the now, they are not thinking about the future so much, they don't live in the past, uh, they hate to be bored, they love to be excited, and uh, they might just say things like, let's just get on with it, even though they may not know what it is that we're actually getting on with. It's just like, hey, just jump in the pool, let's start swimming, it's gonna be fine. And then if somebody says, but that's not actually a pool, they're like, so what, we are jumping in, you know. That sounds exactly like my daughter. Yeah. Because lately I've been having to tell her, I need you to think first before you do something. Because she has good intentions, but she'll do stuff that, nothing serious, but it'll either like put her brothers in danger, like not, like they just might get injured, something minor. But a few scrapes, a few mm-hmm. scuffed knees. But she just does things without thinking. And I'm like, I just need you to think through what could happen if you choose to do that. And she just is very much like fly by the of your pants, which is funny because she also likes the routine. Okay. Likes the black and white, you know, so that's kind of an interesting. Well, my, my understanding of that whole personality type is, is that they like it when somebody else has a routine established because... Okay, now we've got a baseline from which we can rebel. Exactly. That sounds about right. (laughs) So they want to live partially in reaction to what other things are going on. If other people weren't establishing rules and procedures, we wouldn't have anything to violate. That sounds accurate. My best friend is in this personality type up in Iowa, and uh, he's just one of those people who believes that stupid rules were meant to be broken, and his duty in life is to figure out which rules are stupid. So he's going to test all of them pretty much all the time. And he's been this way for 35 years. I don't think it's going to change anytime soon. That makes so much sense. Oh, yeah. She's very much a cleric who would love to know the why behind it. And she will ask. But it's been an interesting thing because I know she's a cleric because her and I are very similar. But when she will rebel or complain about whatever it is that I'm asking her to do, I'm like, I'd be happy to explain why we're asking you to do this. If you stop screaming your head off. <laughs> and part of that is just her age. You know, like she's yeah, trying she's to nine. figure out her emotions and her reactions because she has such a short fuse with her temper sometimes. Mm. And I'm just sitting here going, oh man, you're just like me. <laughs> <laughs> but is she also super generous? Mm-hmm. It, see, that's another thing about that personality type. Uh, at least according to what I've read, they're the most generous people. She is. She's always been... One of my kids who can share a lot easier than other ones. And she is, we've always joked that she's going to be a nurse or a doctor because she will just take care of people. They scrape their knees. She's the one in putting medicine on a band-aid. It's already on their knee. She's always been such a caregiver. So I absolutely agree with that. Okay. That's really great. Um, Tell me about your third child and what your third child's day looks like. She's always been my enigma. I just... She's my one of the six. I still can't quite figure out. Oh my gosh. How she's, old is she? She's seven now. Okay. And she, she's so sweet. She was in first grade this past year. She was so excited for kindergarten, loved her teacher last year. And when her year was cut short, I think it was the hardest on her. Oh. And some of that goes to, she's very... Sensitive. She's sensitive and she's very physical touch. So like she mm. loves hugs and I'm not a hugger. So that's something I have to try really hard to remember to give her more hugs because... So she doesn't starve to death. Yeah, for real. Because her kindergarten teacher was a hugger. 
Okay. So her coming home from kindergarten, I think, was pretty hard on her. And plus, okay. it was her first year at the big school. My older two were not super devastated when their year was cut short. Like, they were. It was hard, but not really. For her, it was really hard. And so, luckily, Zoom helped seeing her teacher, um, you know, getting to talk to her one-on-one, things like that. But she she was mad because she didn't get to finish her first real year, like, first year yeah. of school. And so then I think that translated into this year is she just really struggled to figure out how this looked when she Mm. had just gotten a taste of, and kindergarten is so similar to preschool, so she wouldn't have, until first grade, it doesn't really look like the other years. And she, she's a homebody, like she loves school, but when she's done, she's ready to come home. Okay. She struggled with that with preschool. She, I think she's very smart, but does not want to do like the work like she wanted to just keep playing and I'd say okay let's get this done then you can go play with your sister you can do this and then go play again um she's very capable of all the subjects we were doing but she would fight it and pretend like she wasn't capable okay so that was interesting too kind of like a pretend helplessness yes for sure it was almost like she wanted that one-on-one time with me even if I was frustrated that she was just making me sit there for three hours doing nothing (laughs) <laughs> which I didn't understand. She, she wants the attention. Yeah, she and we've noticed that with her all along. It's kind of like she has always struggled figuring out where she fit in our family okay. as a third. Because the older two have always been grouped together because the second one always wanted to keep up and was able to keep up. So it feels like an even bigger gap between two and three. Mm. Because number four is the same way as two. She wants to keep up. So she's right behind number three and they're best buddies, which is oh. nice. The older two fight like cats and dogs. Huh. Three and four, they get along so well. Okay. So she wanted to just go play with her, which they did most of the day. But getting her to sit down was very difficult. Um, she hated writing. She she was very able to read. I didn't have to do a lot of that. She did a lot of it in kindergarten. But she still fought me on it. Whoa, now, she was reading in kindergarten? For the most part, by the end. I didn't learn till first grade. My older two, it clicked in first grade too. Okay. But for they her, didn't teach us till first grade. Oh yeah, I mean I think everything is starting earlier now. Oh okay. You know, like I I actually kind of helped teach my five year old to read this year because it was this book that we just walked through. It was like a script, and the way they taught it was by sound versus by um, like each letter per se. And she's doing great, which it was crazy. I, I swear by this book now because she was. And she's very capable. They she teach them to read by sound. Mm-hmm. Like they know, she already knew her letters, but they would say, here's the sound that this makes. And they only, like for an A, they only taught um, A instead of A to okay. start. And then okay. you get to it eventually. And so it's this book, it's like a hundred lessons to teach oh, a child. Okay. So we're only even halfway through and she's already able to. The kids are just flying with it. She's doing great. Yeah. So, I mean, we have a lot of work to do to move forward, which I'm like, I don't know what I'm doing, but. It was nice out of the script, but, but yeah, so number three, she is very capable, but yeah, acted helpless a lot of time. And even with math, she would say she didn't like it, but I think she did. She said she didn't know what she was doing, but she was very capable moving through the book. So it was very interesting. She has this heart for Jesus more than I've seen in any of the other kids. So that's been kind of cool to see. And she, she's the one kid of all of them where she absolutely wanted to focus on faith when we did it the older two like it too when we get into those discussions 
but she's just very different than them where that was where she was drawn she's the one who'd go over to our prayer table and like get out her rosary you know spend some time over there you know redecorate for the liturgical season and so she loved to spend time doing that part of our work emily i i could be wrong but i feel like more than anything she just wants to spend more time with you i know which is so hard for me because there are six of them and so figuring out how to give her what she needs with that is that was one of the harder things for me yeah and i didn't want to spend it with her just us butting heads with why won't you get your math done? Just do it. It takes you like 10 minutes to do it if you don't whine about it. And then we could go do fun things. So, right. But if you sit with her for 10 minutes, she'll probably get it done in seven minutes. No, because I did sit with her and she still wouldn't do it. <laughs> <laughs> so I think she still wanted that one on one time, but she would take it how she got it. Oh, uh, okay. Okay. Maybe. I'll take it whichever way it comes. Yeah. Okay. Maybe. But she also just wanted to go play. So. Okay. What was the day like for your fourth? She... And how old is she? She is five and a half now. Okay. So at the beginning of our school year, I wasn't worried about her at all. Because... So she'd gone to three-year-old preschool the year before. Very, very smart. Like, she's an observer. So she, having three older sisters, she's so capable of so many things. To me, I'm like, she might be the smartest because she got to... Because of her personality and because of being the fourth. Oh. I just think she picks up on so, so much in her, her role. So the beginning of the year, for me, feeling overwhelmed trying to do this for the first time, I was not even, like, I put works out for her that I thought she would like, puzzles. She's, like, my first one that liked puzzles. So I put age-appropriate things out for her to do. I got her a couple of workbooks if she wanted to do it. I didn't pressure her to do anything. And then eventually, she really fought me on it if I ever asked her if she wanted to sit down with me. And she's also, like, my second where... She does not stop moving. She wants to do hands-on. Okay. That's fine. I'm I'm happy for you to just run around and learn that way. Eventually, she was getting frustrated and wouldn't... Because I was like, at least let's learn to write your name this year. You know, let's do something productive. And... Or, that's not true. All she was doing was productive. But I said, you know, if you're going to be in kindergarten next year, we need to learn to write your name at least. You know, do some things. And whenever I said kindergarten, she got so excited because that just felt like this rite of passage for her. Oh. And I was like, you know what? you can do kindergarten stuff. Like, she doesn't know the difference. I'm like, this could be kindergarten. I said, but you got to finish some of this preschool stuff for me. So then she was all about getting that done. That actually motivated her. Oh, yeah. Man, I think if I were five and somebody told me something, I'm not sure I'd remember it the next day. I don't know. But it stuck with her. She was ready for that, like, rise in rank. Yeah. She wanted to be in kindergarten. I was like, well, we could start sooner than next year if we get going. And so... Then, once we started that reading book that I told you about, we didn't start till the spring because, you know, she got older and she's, you know, on the older half of her grade level. And so, once we started, though, she was all over that. She was the one saying, okay, mommy, time to do this now. And that's all I really, I had a list for her, like I did for the older kids, of what they would do every day, but I didn't hold her to it. I said, you know, if we get to some of this, great, but I said, what if we just do your reading lesson every day? And she was all, it took us maybe 10, 15 minutes. She okay. made her a chart to put her sticker on when she finished every day. And she did really well with it. She fought me on it for a while. And then as she saw that she could do it, she started complaining less. But she was the one asking to do it, but yet complaining. Okay, so she's got 10 minutes worth of work. But I went to kindergarten for three or four hours every morning during my kindergarten year. So are you compressing three hours worth of school into 10 minutes? I mean, I wouldn't consider her kindergarten yet. I mean, I'm going to buckle down a little more in the fall when she's kind of, quote, officially a okay. kindergartner. Okay, gotcha. 
But she was a pre-kindergartner. She definitely was. Yeah, I was. Con- I was treating her like if she was going to four-year-old preschool, which she would have done if we had, had stayed in schools. But I mean, she just. I let her kind of when she wanted to do something, I let her do it. Whether it was writing some some letters, whether it was doing puzzles, because you know they want they just want to play. And like you said, yeah. in Finland. They don't even really make them go to school till seven, right? I, I don't remember what work. time they go to school. I just know that they go to school quite a lot less than we do. Mm-hmm. They have less homework afterward. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, just the whole atmosphere feels very relaxed to people. Mm-hmm. Well, and everything that I've read, you know, doing some research before we did this too, is, you know, the kids can play. They can learn through play for years. And really, they can do it till they're like seven. And even state requirements don't require them to go to school till they're seven, which they turn seven in first grade. So even kindergarten, they don't really need to go to. Yeah. So I'm all about, especially her, because she's just not one to sit still, that she can go play. And I mean, when I tell her we'll do some school, and especially next year, because she'll feel like a big kid, we're still not going to do that much. You know, we're going to read some stories. We're going to do some math. But it's just so simple for it's her. It's just relaxed. It is. Yeah. So, but she was, once I called it kindergarten, she was all about doing some work. That's good. That's good. You know, something I remember reading early on in my life as a teacher was people learn best when they're in a relaxed state of mind in the first place. Because, I don't know, think about somebody sitting in, on their couch reading a book. Or think about maybe a professor in his office reading something that he has to read. Um, you really have to have the time and the patience to really be able to absorb something in the first place. So you do have to have that relaxed state of mind. Maybe not like a, you know, that rushed or panic state of mind that people would otherwise have. Mm-hmm. So um, what about your fifth child? What was the year like for him? I mean, he's four and a half. He's almost four. Almost four. Mm-hmm. Oh, he's, so he's not four yet. He's not. Okay, sorry. In two weeks. Actually. Okay. He's almost four. He's been almost four all year, according to him. <laughs> so he watched all his siblings' birthdays go by, wondering when his was. So, yeah, so he mostly played, um, and he is more sedentary than number four. So okay. he was willing to sit down and look at books, which she would do at certain times of the day, but she's just always been more active. So he would sit down and, and do things, but... He would play with the second one in the morning, and sometimes they'd watch a show, like I said, something like Daniel Tiger or Mickey Mouse or something, and if it was nice out, they would go outside in the morning and play, and um, he liked helping make lunch on his day, and then he'd have a rest time in his room, but for the most part, it was just playing with whichever sibling was available to play with him in the morning. And then in the afternoon, play some more outside. That's great. So all he does is play all the time. Pretty much. You know, it's too bad we don't all remember our childhood in exquisite detail. It's true. I mean, just because I bet every day for him is just wonderful. Seems like it for the most part. Unless his siblings are bugging him. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. And I don't know if I should ask about what the school day is like for a two-year-old. But but okay, I think I'm going to ask. People chasing him all day, which he loves. <laughs> he sums it up pretty well. He's my most ornery, active, crazy child, which is partially because he's number six. Okay, okay. Um, overall, what do you think went really well this past year, and what would you like to improve? Deep questions there. I think that we learned how to slow down as a family, even before when we were at school and the kids had activities before the pandemic, it was my goal to try to guard our family time and guard how many activities we did, 
you know, just to guard that time. So we weren't always rushing. You mean, you mean not get plugged into 25 outside activities where you really just sort of become a taxi service, taking kids from here to there and plugging them into other people's programs. Correct. But instead have your own family time, your own independence, uh, and set your own destiny, I guess. Mm-hmm. I just, I knew at once we started having kids and once we got to having six that it, that would be hard to do because even if they're all doing one thing, that makes it busy. So the pandemic to me was a good, like I called it the great pause for a while. Okay. <laughs> because I just, I thought it was such a good reminder for people like me who were trying so hard to not be too busy. Mm. It was such a good reminder and reset to take everything out and then say, okay, let's really rethink what we put back in. I hope for other people that were way busier than us that it was kind of a huge wake up call. I don't know if it was, maybe not, because at this point people are dying to get back out there and do all the things. Right, I think so. You know, so that's kind of hard. But for me, it was really good because it said, okay, let's see if we need to reprioritize some things. I think we were doing okay with it, but as the kids get older, things just keep changing. So even if we come up with a great plan, it only lasts for a season. So I think it was good for all of us to slow down and have time together and start different traditions since we were home more together. So it was a, it was hard at times for all of us for a variety of reasons, but I, I love that we had this slower paced year. Okay. So the kids weren't seeing all the busy. So that was the thing that you thought worked really well. And when you're kind of looking ahead to next year, uh, what do you want to either do differently or improve? Um, And it it may not even be an improvement. It just may be doing something differently because now that things are opening up and people can go here and they can go there, maybe it's just impossible to compare the two years. So I guess what are your goals for next year? I'm hoping that my brain can be more creative next year because there was just a lot to handle this past year. And I was still working my part-time job Okay. because I, I waited until we decided to homeschool the second year to quit that job. So I had that on my plate. So I felt very stressed and I felt I was only capable of doing so much on our first year as we were all adjusting. Mm. So next year, I'm just hoping that we can be more flexible than we were and that I can tailor even more to each individual child. Oh, wow. Because, and not change everything so everything is, you know, totally different, but I just hope I can tailor to their interests even more so. Yeah. Because we now that I've seen what it can be, I just, I know different things we can try. We can try different schedules. We can try different, you know, times of our day. We can go do field trips. There's just so many more possibilities this coming year than than last year. And I think now that I'll have a a two-and-a-half-year-old, that's drastically different than an 18-month-old starting our school year. And so he's just going to be capable of more as well. And I think it's going to make everything for everyone a little bit easier as they all get a little older and more capable. So I'm looking forward to what we can do as a family and what we can try to do. Okay, okay. I mean, are you planning all kinds of field trips and things like that? Not yet. I'm hoping to. I'm still recovering from last year. <laughs> I'm in my planning stages. I need to take like an entire day. Because, I mean, throughout the year, I kind of made notes and tweaked things and said, okay, once I plan for next year. So since I said I want to start after 4th of July, June is my time to order the books I need or the curricula that I need. So 
I'm still in that. I haven't looked ahead yet, but I'm hoping to maybe once a month field trip. I mean, there's so many ideas I've seen other people do that I just see as possible this year. Okay. And I just know that those things stick in their heads more than just like, oh, that one math lesson. Yeah. Oh, for sure. For sure. So I, and I know some of your goals include just making sure that they are academically sound in a wide variety of ways. But, but the thing that just dazzles me the most, just charms me the most it's just the idea that you are tailoring things to the individual child and what his or her interests are at the given moment. And maybe we just go hog wild on that particular thing with that kid for a year. Maybe they'll lose interest, but then they'll pick up some new interest. And I guess kind of hidden within all this is they are learning to be passionate about things. Or if people have natural passion, it's not getting squashed out of them. This natural passion is just getting fed and it's just getting watered and it's just blooming. It's already blooming. I love the fact that your second gets up and reads for an hour when you said she really was not all that attached to books, but man, she's getting up and she's reading for an hour. I, I just think this whole thing is working beautifully. It's just absolutely, that's my impression from the outside. Well, thank you. Well, I will tell you, a lot of people said, oh, it must be easy for you because you used to be a teacher. And there's definitely pros and cons. I'll tell you, I have found the most useful is the organizing of a year. Okay. Looking at curricula, things, and not every teacher, that's their strength. But I feel like that was some of my strengths as a teacher too, was I can be organized. I can get all the materials. I can plan ahead what the kids need to do. All of that, that was fun and easy for me to to research and to find different things we could try to do. For me, it's actually the tailoring to the individual that is hard because as teachers, we're trained to have a classroom of 20 to 30 kids and you can't do that as much as you would prefer or be ideal. So for me, it's been kind of fighting that natural inclination of we all do the same thing, we all do the same subjects, and even checking how they know things. Because I don't have a great book. So yeah. that's been very bizarre in my head. Yeah. Are, are you at all concerned that at a certain point somebody's going to say, okay, your kids need to take the Iowa Basic Skills Test or they need to take the ACT and that's a time test and it comes with a score. Does that sort of thing make you nervous at all in any way, shape, or form? Yes. But I'm not crossing that bridge yet. Okay. Okay. I mean, right now, it seems like they're way ahead. So I don't know if I'd be worried too much about ACT and things like that. I mean, that's a sophomore, junior, senior year in high school type of thing. Uh, Let's see, what else do I want to ask? Okay, this question is just a little bit out of left field, I suppose. And, And you don't have to go into detail. But I'm kind of thinking you probably saved a ton of money homeschooling just because I think your kids were paying tuition. And you are eliminating driving to all kinds of different things. Uh, You're probably eliminating a ton of eating out. And so I'm just assuming that you just wind up, this is financially, it's a good deal. Absolutely. Yeah. We were looking at something around 10 grand a year last year. And that was for four or five of them. And that's just tuition. Mm-hmm. See, that's not looking at the gas or the food or these other things. Right. Well, and then a sec, I don't know. I'm just looking at this, and the sales pitch seems to be save well over $10,000, have a lot more free time in the day, don't feel like you're rushed when you're going anywhere, 
and watch your kids devour book after book after book after book. I'm struck, to... struggling to see the downside. Right, and that's that's part of what pulled my husband in too was the freedom, the time, and then of course saving money. You know, I, I mean, he's the primary um, income earner, so of course he's looking at that, and it's been kind of this awesome freedom financially of we've never been able to do piano lessons with the kids. There was no time and we couldn't Uh, afford it. Now this lady comes to our house every week and sits down with five of them. Oh my gosh. And has since the pandemic started more or less. And so it's stuff like that where it is allowing us to expose them to a variety of things because there's time and money. So it's been really cool. Just the things that we're able to do now because of that. That's really, really awesome. I didn't even think about that. Okay, so uh, if you don't mind, I'd like to ask you just um, questions that might come from some of the critics a little bit. Um, So I can kind of think of two. Um, One basically is, I I have heard people say that, you know, we really should just have public schools in our society, and that should be it, because that way we would all be equal. Nobody would get a better education than somebody else, and we would also have a more uniform culture. And there are maybe some other reasons um, how can you respond or what, what would be your response to, to that? It sounds like communism, doesn't it? <laughs> <laughs> like too much uniformity? Too much uniformity sounds dangerous. I mean, you know, there's no perfect system. The U.S. has, you know, an okay educational system. I wish there weren't low-income schools and super elite private schools. I wish they were all... Like, I wish there was some kind of baseline where they were all really good and then some could be better, you know, if you want to pay more to go to a more elite school, sure. Mm -hmm. You know, still have some competition there, but I really wish we didn't have such low income. Like the disparities that we have. Mm -hmm. Okay. So maybe that's something more for our society to look at. How can we help the people uh, who are not getting their schools, um, I don't know, properly done, Maybe that should be looked at a little bit more than, I don't know, putting the kibosh on the homeschoolers, for example. Mm-hmm. Okay, okay. Now, on the flip side, I, I try to go to the opposite extreme. I have read a book or two on people who do what they call unschooling. And I'm sure you've ran into things along these lines because you're members of many groups. Maybe you've read some books. The ones that are very, very, um, I guess adamant and their beliefs would say that basically all curriculums are bad. That what we should do is we should figure out what are the natural interests of the child and just let them explore it. And if you find out, oh, they're interested in history, well, then take them to every museum, check out every history book. And if you ignore math and if you ignore science or you ignore English, then hey, that's fine. You ignore it. You just go with the interest of the child all day long. And um, they will work at their own pace and they will just naturally pick up all kinds of things that they need to know. And that's kind of, I, I hope I'm not misrepresenting what they think, but, but I think that's what I've read. I, I think that's what I understand. What are your thoughts? I, I see a lot of value in their basic premise. So for instance, the woman that I met who, the curriculum that I, I chose, I've talked to her, I've talked to her on Instagram, and I followed her, her blog and things, and she does their curriculum in the morning and they unschool in the afternoon, is what her family has done for 10 plus years, I think. 
And so my understanding is that that is like student-led basically for her family is that whatever their interests are, wherever they go, that. And so I kind of like her both and approach because while I like the whole child-led, student-led thing, if you want somebody well-rounded, if they're only following their passions, they might never get to be well-rounded enough. So in my mind, I like the idea of like have some basic things that you're always going to do, but then also foster their interests. Okay. So I find it hard to believe that it would, I mean, I'm sure there are people that make it work, but I have a hard time with doing that completely and only. Okay. So, I mean, you have, to me, it seems like you have a light but effective structure. That's kind of what you're aiming for. Kind of like a light touch, but nonetheless, there is a touch and that touch is some structure. Mm Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, okay. kids have to learn routine and structure, and I've learned that with my kids this year. You're not going to love everything we study. That doesn't mean there's not value to it. You know what I mean? So it Do they find just... that persuasive? That we should appreciate things even if we don't like them? You know, I can appreciate that Shakespeare is a good writer even if I don't like him. I'm speaking in theory because I actually do like Shakespeare. I think so. I think they're still young to fully appreciate that idea. But for instance, my oldest gets very frustrated with math. Okay. It's the last thing on her list that she does every day. And she always asks to skip it that day. Huh. And the answer is always no. Um, maybe not always. But I told her, you don't have to like it. But it's a skill that you're going to... A skill. Many skills. That you're going to use the rest of your life. Whether you like that skill or not. This That's is right. something that we see as important. And not just us. Society and... It's just a basic skill you have to do. And so for the most part, she's, you know, says fine, okay, and does it. But I think when, like you were saying before, Algebra 2 or some of those very specific topics, I think she'll really fight back on how will I use this in the real world? You know, like she's not going to become a physicist or anything. Gotcha. As far as we know. Yeah. I mean, she's 11. Never know. There could be some amazing flip that takes place at some point, but... But I don't know. You obviously know her far better than I would. I would possibly be able to even guess that. Well, so. and I just I can't imagine somebody only letting her read history books. You know, like I love history, so I'm never going to downplay that for her. But I have a hard time if my philosophy. I mean, I just if somebody said, "Well, just let her only read history," she'll pick up some math in there. I'm like maybe, but not enough. Mm. I don't know, I just struggle with that. Yeah, yeah. Okay, well, I, I kind of think that's good. I think that if we all just did only what we wanted to do, I'm not sure we would be able to function at any sort of a job mm-hmm. later in life. And I think that marrying somebody would be very difficult, and then I think having children would be very difficult because I think, as you mentioned earlier, that if you really want to learn how to sacrifice, then you should have children. And then once you have these children, well, then your life is not entirely your own. But it's probably more beautiful. Mm-hmm. So, okay. Okay. Um, now, you've kind of mentioned a little bit on this before, but is it your particular goal to create any particular kind of kid? Uh, I don't think so. I, I, we have our goals that are kind of our ideals. So okay. I don't think it'd be a particular kind of kid, but... We want our kids to love learning. We want them to be self-sufficient. We want them to, when they're 18 and move out of our house, to be able to take care of themselves. And we want them to have a relationship with Jesus and try to get to heaven and bring others with them. Okay. In service of others. Okay. I'd like to ask you four or five questions on advice. Um, Let's say that somebody is thinking about homeschooling and they're really wanting to take the leap 
what would be their first steps? How do they get started? I would recommend prayer for a little bit and discernment with their husband and discussions. And then you know me research a lot. Okay. <laughs> and then I've always had people tell me if you can go watch somebody's day. Oh. You know, just like go to a friend's house that homeschools and just see what it looks like. Even yeah. though everyone's looks totally different, but at least to get some idea, um, which is something I was never able to do. I talked to many friends and they told me about their day right. somewhat. But especially because I was doing most of my research during the pandemic. So I knew all these people. These people have been placed in my life through Bible study, through all these things. And I'd asked them about it years ago, but it's also very hard as a mom of young children to have a day by yourself to go watch another family with young mm. children. So that was never something, and it wasn't a priority until last year. And then I couldn't go observe. But that's what I've heard from other veteran moms is, you know, you can do your research, make sure you know what you're talking about, at least what you're looking for, go watch other people do it, talk to your husband, have kind of a, a goal or a mission for your family of what you're wanting to do with this so that you know what will fill what you can find that will try to help you attain those goals. Gotcha. Okay, so pray and do your research. And if you can, get out of the house and, and see others. But if you can't, then just phone them up. Talk to them that way. Okay, so let's say you ran into somebody who was very sold on the idea of homeschooling and was 98% sure they wanted to do it. And then this person said to you, what are the pitfalls, Emily? What would you say? Like, tell me, tell me what, what are the things out there that I should know, but I don't know that might keep me from doing this? Well, again, I've only had one year of homeschooling. It was during a pandemic, but I think support slash community would be something that if you don't have that, and, and there's plenty of people who like say their spouse does not agree or support them. There's a lot of people like that, but they feel strongly enough to do it. If, if that's specifically your case, you would want to have people that support you, that can help you, whether it's finding you time by yourself or whether it's other people in a co-op or something to support the actual homeschooling. I feel like that's been, I mean, I've already told you about the groups I'm in on Facebook and the people that I know in this area. I mean, knowing that they're, even just if I don't talk to them, just knowing that it's more prevalent around here, that it is yeah. somewhat normal around here, there are other people doing it and there's we see people all over at different activities to know that they're doing something similar have similar goals okay so the pitfall would be if you are on an island mm -hmm. just trying to do this all by yourself mm -hmm. okay that okay make it extremely difficult okay so get get some community basically if mm -hmm. you can okay um my last question is this i would like to fast forward i don't know 12 to 16 years from today and maybe your youngest is completely done with school. Um, you know, he is 18 and everybody else is older. So looking back on the years that got you to that point, what do you see? Like if everything worked out beautifully, what does the world look like 16 years from today? I hope that our kids are regularly serving people and being adventurous and exploring their passions and have really good friends. 
Okay. And still hang out with their family. Okay. <laughs> that they don't say, gosh, 16 years with these people. That's enough. Yeah, we're done here. Okay. Okay. And, and I'm just going to assume everything else is solid. Like the academics are solid and just everything like that. It's all solid. Hopefully. Okay. Okay. And still go to church and love Jesus. Okay. Okay. Uh, gosh. Then what does life look like for you and Brett at this point? I mean, if I had to guess, I feel like we'll already have grandkids. It's entirely possible. Yeah. Since 16 years. I already yeah. Have, you know, be... Well, she's 12, right? She's 11. 11 plus 16 is 27. Yeah. I already had two kids by then, so okay. she could definitely have kids. I don't know. I've thought a lot about that, about, you know, 10, 15 years. What will they be doing? I don't know. I hope they live nearby, so it's easy to support them if we need to, if we can help them out with, you know, grandkids and yeah. being around them and spending time together. I just, I hope we're nearby. Okay. Okay. So. Well, is there anything else that I should have asked that I didn't ask? Hard to say. Okay. Okay. <laughs> well, I hope we can do this again sometime. This was really fun. It was fun. Thank and you. I learned so much. Thank you, Emily. Thanks. Thank you again for listening to Seemingly Ordinary. The biggest favor that you could possibly do for me would be for you to share this episode far and wide. 